right. Welcome to a special edition of the Cavish Ships podcast, produced in conjunction with the Service Navy Association's annual symposium. This special edition is sponsored in part by Huntington Ingalls Industries. HII is the largest producer of unmanned undersea vehicles, making transoceanic missions possible. HII, delivering hard stuff done right. And by GE Marine, a GE aerospace company, offering unparalleled power and propulsion for ships from the biggest combatants to the smallest, fastest patrol boats. GE's propulsion solutions are ready for the next generation of sea power. Learn more at geaerospace.com slash marine. Our guest today is Carrie Wilkinson, president of Ingalls Shipbuilding, one of the two major shipyards of Huntington Ingalls Industries. Welcome back to the podcast, Ms. Wilkinson. Mr. Cavus, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to represent Ingalls Shipbuilding today. Thank you. So just to just to give some the folks an idea of what we're who who we're talking to here, your yard built something over half of all the Navy surface warships from primarily big deck LHA amphibious assault ships, LPD amphibious transport dock ships, DDG guided missile destroyers. You've also built all 11 national security cutters for the US Coast Guard, with the last two of those ships still under construction. And just to give folks a sense of scale, how many employees do you have building ships at Ingalls? Over 11,000 employees today, Chris. Or 11,000 employees. So just to, so what, what have been some of the highlights that have been going on recently down in your yard? Yeah, well, we've, uh, we've certainly just come through a banner year in spite of the lingering effects of COVID and some of the environmental challenges that all of us are talking about. You know, we had, we had a, a significant opportunity last year to execute on our contracts. And so from an accomplishment standpoint, uh, you know, we delivered two ships, an LPD and a DDG. We christened three ships, an LPD, a DDG, and an NSC. We launched two ships, an LPD and an NSC. We laid keels for another three ships between LPDs and DDGs and began fabrication for another three ships. Uh, and were successful in achieving a couple of contract awards. So uh, I say all of that to say that we are wide open and open for business down here in sunny Pascagoula, Mississippi. When we, uh, when Chris and I were down there last August uh, touring your yard, uh, you spoke to us about some significant investments that have been made in that yard in recent years. Can you detail some of those improvements? Yes, sir. Well, certainly uh, the the focus for us was on efficiency. So for our West Bank shipyard, we went through a number of investments all the way through the processes, quite honestly, starting up in the fab shop and the panel line. The panel line specifically, we now have a hybrid laser panel line for thin plate. Uh, We got a new dry dock. Uh, We've invested out in our bays and covered over a million square feet in this facility to make it a better working environment for our shipbuilders. That was the primary focus. And we've incorporated some quality of life, some creature comforts down in the shipyard. We have a cafeteria, Chick-fil-A, and Wi-Fi, and some of those new amenities that I'll say historically have not been so associated with shipbuilding, but certainly uh, we want to invest in our folks, as I said, uh, and we're really focused on how we can improve uh, you know, the, the, the environment and make it as easy as it can be. Shipbuilding is a tough business, as you know. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. And so uh, those that work here want to work here, uh, and we're really excited to have them. So we want to continue making investments to that end. Carrie, let's pull on uh, that uh, a little bit. Um, you know, it was obvious uh, walking around with you, um, the changes that you made to the working environment, having been there a few times before, 
maintaining that workforce and, and in fact, even growing that workforce is a big challenge, both at Ingalls, but also across the shipbuilding industry. How do you do that? I mean, what what are you day-to-day focused on in terms of, you know, keeping your workforce and then figuring out how to bring in new members to the workforce so that you stay at the right levels to meet both the current demand, but also future demands? No, great question. So, you know, as I mentioned, shipbuilding is a challenging industry. It's always going to be. And so it has a tendency to attract people that like challenges. Uh, and But still, you, you have to come here every day and you have to feel good about what you do. And connecting to mission and purpose has always been sort of a core uh, piece of the business for us. It's easy to, you know, when you see a ship go out to sea. In fact, this last year, we just uh, got DDG-125, our first Flight 3 destroyer, out to sea. Our workforce, our shipbuilders know that that is a brand new capability for the Navy. So it is really easy to make the connection of what you do in the shipyard, um, how important it is to national security. It's easy to make that connection. So then it comes down to, okay, you have the mission, you have the purpose. Uh, How do you communicate across this amazing, um, diverse group of shipbuilders. And so we're really focused on that. We've done some things organizationally over the last several months uh, to start structuring to make sure that we tie our community of shipbuilders together around that mission and purpose. We want people to feel good about what they do, right? We want pep in step. We want people to feel connected uh, to how important their contribution is. And everyone brings something different to the table. Those diverse skill sets are so critical to the business that we're in. And it's why we have just magic happen here every single day. Things that don't happen on a day-to-day basis outside of the shipyard. It's what compels me to see these folks doing the things that they do every day is just the most exciting part of of my experience here at the shipyard. When we walked around the the shipyard in August, as Chris mentioned, um, there was a lot going on, but there was also room as we looked to the, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was to the east at the time, right? We stood up on board of uh, one of the big deck amphibs that you were building. We looked out to the east um, and you had, what appeared to be some room to do other stuff over there. Are you able to do more work as you head into 23 and beyond? I mean, is there more that the Navy or the Congress could push to Ingalls, um, you know, depending on where they decide to grow the Navy? Yeah, no, another great question. So obviously, predictability is our biggest enabler, right? So as we look across the shipyard, we certainly, uh, as I mentioned, have the privilege of a fair amount of backlog today, and we're laser focused on executing that backlog. But right behind that, we need ships to make sure that we don't disrupt this amazing workforce that we've worked so hard to generate and to support and enable. And so LPD is coming down the line. Uh, the DDG-1000, 1002 is here in the shipyard, and, uh, and we've received a preliminary contract award for some advanced procurement and planning activities associated with the prompt strike upgrade for the DDG-1000. Uh, that work is absolutely, uh, you know, key for us. It's really important work for us to have here in the yard, and we're, we're again, pleased that, uh, that the Navy has shown the confidence to award that to Ingalls. Uh, you know, that predictability is so important for us. We have the ability to some extent to, you know, control our own destiny as far as moving um, our workforce across programs. Uh, we like to try and be as flexible and agile as we can be. But we have a network of over 1,200 suppliers across 49 states. And so, um, you know, making sure that they have a predict- predictable demand signal from us is absolutely important because they feel the effects that are out in the environment today. Uh, much more acutely than we do oftentimes. And so, you know, as we as we look across the backlog, as I said, you know, we do have the ability, we're, we are not facility constrained in any respect. 
Um, all, all of the conversations are around people and the way to make sure the people are here to do the work uh, and the fantastic things that they do every day is that strong predictability. And, uh, and then we will make sure that those folks are, are here and ready to do that work. So this, you know, this whole issue of how much work can you do uh, reverberates around the discussion about the size of the Navy almost every day. Um, last December, uh, CNO Chief of Naval Operations General Mike Gilday uh, the Reagan National Defense Forum once again said you cannot throw much more money at the seven shipbuilders that build U.S. warships in the United States of America right now. Their capacity is about max. And that's a theme that he and Navy Secretary Del Toro have repeatedly declared. But I, you know, I, I'm walking around your yard, um, frankly, both your yard and uh, nearby Austell, USA. And what struck all of us who uh, on that on the tour was we're looking at at capacity here. Uh, you are building national security cutters for quite a long time. That's a major production line. Uh, that line is, uh, the, the end is in sight. You have the last two ships in hand right now. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that, that, that's work that's going away without a replacement for the time being. Um, we've made so, much, so many investments down there. Um, it is a vast sprawling facility for sure. Uh, Chris talked about the East Yard, which is the, actually the original Ingalls shipbuilding yard built in the late 30s. Um, that is now, from our understanding, pretty much cleaned up and um, waiting, waiting for the next demand signal um, to see which direction you go in there in terms of investment. Um, it certainly looks like you, you can respond to increased production orders down there. That, is that the case? Are you just full up and you don't want any more work? Stay away. We're we're fine. What's the what? What is your situation? I would say we'll never be in that position, right? <laughs> but uh, from the perspective of what we have today, certainly we're performing and executing on what we have today. The future ships are the focus for us, right? Because. Uh, ours is a long-run business, as you know, and so right now we're talking about the ships that happen in five through 15 years from now, right? And so, as you say, NSCs are coming to an end. Uh, the DDGs, we are actively looking at how we accelerate the schedules on those ships, um, uh, and we know that that's of interest to our customers. Mm -hmm. uh, and to your point, East Bank is an entirely new opportunity because to this point, we've only used that facility, one, for unit construction, and two, as flexibility because there's additional berthing there if we want to move ships around just to put them in a different environment, isolate them for the crews and, su and such. So, yes, there is a, a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, here yet in Pascagoula, and, and as you said, we're very much focused on making sure we bring the work in uh, to take advantage of those assets. So you're trying to be, it sounds like you're trying to be a little diplomatic here and not, not directed, but uh, I mean, again, we just didn't see, we did not see a facility that was full up that said no more work. Um, yeah, seen, from a facility standpoint, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're, we're very focused on bringing new shipbuilders on the team to accomplish the work because the environment today is different than it has been, obviously, and we've all been talking about that. Uh, but we we proved some uh, some things to ourselves last year about what what is effective in this new environment, and I expect to get even better traction on that this year. So I think we're going to work ourselves through those those challenges and be in a position, but we've got to have the work there to do it right to make those investments uh, and to make sure that, uh, that we're doing all the things we need to stay viable and do what the nation needs us to do. Can you talk a bit about how you how you build ships? I mean, really the sort of the the nuts and bolts. Um, the you know the industry continues to evolve. Your main facility right now actually is a, is a 
tangible result of a vast change in, in production methods that took place in the actually the 1960s. Uh, that mm -hmm. facility was really put, stood up to deliver the Spruance class destroyers for the Navy in series production. Um, and you know, ships are not built one at a time. You roll through these things, but you know, you you're you're big into computer aided design techniques right now. Ships are designed on computer. You have a, you have an electronic document now that really is the the, the blueprint of the ship, for example. Um, there are new welding techniques that come in all the time. You've been making improvements down there physically on how, on how, how you cut steel, how you move steel through the shipyard, uh, how you assemble ships, block, big blocks that go together, that they're, they're assembled into a ship. Um, you've got uh, a new, new floating dry dock down there to, to launch your ships. Um, and then, of course, the, 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 uh, the sort of white collar, if you will, aspect of engineering and, uh, and, and design. Can you talk about some of the changes that you've seen? You've been there a long time. Um, you, you, you have run through, I've, I've, we met some years ago. Um, yes, sir. You have risen through the ranks. You are a true shipbuilder. Um, you know how to, how to put these things together and what all the issues are, right? Literally on the deck plates. Um, you build the deck plates. Uh, what, what is, what are some of the changes that you've seen through that yard that are even still happening today? What are you, what, how, how are you trying to update that yard? You don't want people to walk through and say, this is a great yard, but it was really ultra modern 15 years ago. Um, right. How are, you, how are you continuing to upgrade your yard, your facility? No, I think that's a, that's a great um, opportunity to talk a little bit about. So, yes, we did the you know, ne nearly a billion dollar investment for Shipyard of the Future over the last, I'll say, three to five years. You know, you st if you start from an engineering standpoint, we've always used, I'll say, a cadre of um, software suites and tool sets in order to enable us to design the ships that we build or do the detailed design, depending on what each contract requires. And we have, you know, we now have all of the all of the programs that we have today in construction, we have in the same 3D modeling tool. And that's important because it really enables the efficiency in translating that product then down onto the deck plate. Uh, onto the shop floor so that you can run that big engine, right? It takes out a lot of the translation and the human touch that was required previously in order to translate into something that could be used to build manufacturing aids and things of that nature to actually get the work done out in the shipyard. And so we've we've holistically looked at that from an IT perspective, our backbone, all of the, I'll say the back office um, uh, tool sets. We're in the process of, well, we're just completing the process of trans transitioning those over to newer products. And, you know, it's the first time this shipyard has been modernized since it was built. You know, as you mentioned, East Bank in 1938, and then the West Bank came late 60s, early 70s, full up production. And, you know, it had been, I'll say, updated to some extent, but not completely modernized the way it was during Shipyard of the Future. And, of course, it's not Shipyard of the Future anymore because those project, projects are done. It really, how we design those ships, how we think about unit families, how we look at efficiencies to be gained in the process really informed the capital investments that you were able to see when we went out and walked ships and shipyard together the last time you visited and so we're always looking for efficiencies. We have a process excellence group to your to your question about how do you keep looking at those things to make sure that you're modernized and you're efficient. 
and we map out, we pick process after process after process and continually reevaluate those processes. And as I think you know, from a modular, modular construction standpoint, which is what we do here, uh, we're a little bit different than we do it from stem to stern, if you will, right? From the very beginning of the product all the way through C trials, we're operating, we're building, we're designing, we're doing all of those things. And so our ability to look across all of those functions um, from a process excellence standpoint and really capitalize on any uh, efficiency opportunities, I think is somewhat unique. And we're absolutely dedicated to that end. You know, looking at that whole picture and connecting those dots across those processes has been really important for us. And we're going to continue to do that. Carrie, I want to, in the time that we have left, I, I want to just zoom out a little bit, um, mm -hmm. you know, we, Chris and I talked uh, on the podcast, but also in, in private about the value of being able to visit um, shipyards in person and spend some time with folks like you and, and uh, you know, at, at the staff level. What are the things that folks in the Navy or on the Hill get wrong about shipbuilding? And I'm not asking you to criticize them, but I mean, what, what would you like them to know that they, um, that maybe they don't know? I mean, you, you know, Chris mentioned over the last year, sort of, uh, you know, the whole industry kind of got wrapped around the axle about not enough capacity, too much capacity. I mean, what, what are the misunderstandings that people have about shipbuilding um, that, you, you know, either you at Ingalls or the, you know, the entire industry needs to do a better job of informing on? No, I think, you know, with, with an industry as complex as shipbuilding, and that's just the process itself, let alone all of the relationships and networks and enablers and things that happen out in our ecosystem, right, whether it's congressionally, whether it's from a Navy perspective, a DOD perspective, a Coast Guard perspective, you layer all of those complexities onto one industry. And I think there are so many opportunities for I won't say misunderstandings, I will say different interpretations, right? And so, you know, as, as uh, you pointed out, there's been a lot of conversation on capacity. Capacity can be defined a hundred different ways, right? And when you, when you speak, um, you know, in broad terms about it with the big picture in mind, you can absolutely make a statement that, hey, there's a capacity discussion to be had in shipbuilding. But when you get down in the details, everybody's capacity conversation is different, right? Some are, are constrained by people, some are constrained by facilities, some are constrained by, uh, you know, a specific skill set. There's, there's all these nuances to a capacity conversation. So I think from my standpoint, one of the things that, you know, we talk, we all talk about New Year's resolutions, what can I do differently in 2023 is be very deliberate and very specific when I talk about capacity, you know, the ability to take on work, any constraints we might have in taking on new work, and just be very explicit and make sure that my customers, my congressional partners, you know, all of the people that are in our ecosystem that do the good work that they do to make this industry go, I think it's on me to make sure I'm very specific and deliberate in what those, um, I'll, I'll say, expectations, challenges, opportunities are. Um, so capacity, different different issues, different topics, different ways to look at that. Of course, fundamental to everything is people. You've got to have people who know what they're doing. Once they know what yeah. they're doing, you'd like to keep them around for a while. Yes, in, yes, we would. In, in previous generations, people tended to stay for their entire careers. They tended to follow their their fathers, their uh, their aunts, and uh, and stay there for a long time. That's not so, so much the case anymore so, across the country, frankly, across the world. It's a cultural thing. But um, you have you and Ingalls have made major efforts for years to attract people to, to learn the business, to learn the industry, to learn the skills. You have a pretty um, 
pretty impressive apprenticeship school down there. I mean, it's and I mean, I've 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 seen it. It's it's really quite nice, um, quite impressive. I mean, a lot of a lot of facilities. Um, are you are you how is how what is the state of that? apprenticeship training program right now are you having trouble attracting people to come into it um to stay into it or is it rolling or what where are we in that no i think you know we've had some great success over this last year covid saw you know most of us in the industry neck down things that had classroom settings and all those things you know, I'll say those challenges that COVID presented, um, but we are absolutely in the process of expanding that back up again. And so, you know, we've got hundreds of folks in our apprentice school right now, and we have a target of being at 800 by the end of the year, uh, which I think we can achieve. Um, so we've had good interest in that. I think the thing that's changed in the environment, and I think you'd probably hear this from anyone sitting in my seat, you know, while we have the, we, we do still have the privilege of generational shipbuilders in the shipyard. There is no doubt we have, you know, families, that, you know, just have found great sense of purpose and, you know, great sense of accomplishment working at Ingalls. And I'm sure that's, you know, consistent across the industry. We have a whole campaign on Start Here, Grow Here. To your point, people don't necessarily want to do the same thing for 40 years to become a master shipbuilder uh, as they historically have. And so you can, you know, there's 500 different different opportunities here at Ingalls uh, that you can start as one occupation and end up in something completely different. And we have, you know, educational assistance programs and all these uh, opportunities for the folks that want to be on our team. But the apprenticeship program is still a, just a terrific opportunity. You can enter that program and be given all of the skills that you need to have to be a shipbuilder. I think what's changed somewhat in the, our environment generally from an industry perspective and what makes it even more critical for predictable demand and all the things that we talk about as being enablers and for us to execute on our contracts, because that's an equal enabler, right? We have to be able to do what our, contra our contracts our customers have asked us to do, is to um, invest in folks. They don't necessarily come in with all of the skill sets that they did before, right? Those skill sets have evolved. People that uh, are coming to the shipyard now were born with cell phones and born with all of these technologies um, and, and didn't have to adopt it later in their careers. And so, um, but maybe gone are some of the, I'll say, core competencies around basic shipbuilding skill sets, right? Ship fitting and pipe welding and the things that make us so successful in the construction of vessels. So it's requiring a tremendous amount of investment, more so than we have done in the past, which I'm excited about because I love investing in people. I think it's a fantastic thing. It makes people feel good about what they do. It lets them know how important they are, not just as shipbuilders, but as people to, to an organization. And so there's so, so much great opportunity there. Um, you know, for goodwill. And, uh, and so that's really what we're focused on is, you know, yes, apprentice school that takes, uh, you know, a period of time to come through and be fully, I'll say, you know, be a first class, you know, welder, for example. Um, but we're dedicated to that end. And we've got some great programs. And to your point, uh, we've not lost sight of those pipelines. And, and you know, in the, the same, same with the uh, pipelines we have in the middle schools and the high schools today. So really excited about what the future can bring. That'll kind of wrap it up for this uh, for, for today. Folks, our guest has been Carrie Wilkinson. She's the president of Ingalls Shipbuilding in Pasigola, Mississippi, one of the largest shipbuilders in this country and certainly in the Western world. And thank you again, Ms. Wilkinson, for being our guest. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it so much.